school system probably know this. Those of you who don't may not, but October is Fire Safety Month. And every year at school, um, those of us in the school system, we, we talk to the kids about the importance of fire safety, of never playing with matches, stop, drop, and roll, uh, all those types of things. But today, we're going to talk about fire in church, but we're not going to talk about being safe around fire. We're not going to talk about how you should never play with matches and things like that. But instead, we're going to talk about having a friend in the fire. Our text is going to be out of Daniel chapter 3. And so if you had a bookmark where we were last week, it's right in that same area. Daniel chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at the famous account of Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we're going to talk about them being thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, I want to fill in the gaps a little bit from where we left off last week and where we pick up today. Because last week we talked about how Daniel had gone in before Nebuchadnezzar. He had had a dream, you remember, and, and either he couldn't remember what it was or he remembered what it was. He's putting his wise men to the test or whatever whatever the case was. But he said, if you don't tell me what the dream was and the interpretation of it, you're all going to die. So none of them could figure it out except for Daniel. God gave him a, a, a special revelation, told him what the dream was. Daniel goes into Nebuchadnezzar, and here's what the dream was. I'll give you... I'll give you the Braddock paraphrase. The dream that Nebuchadnezzar had was of this huge statue. It was, it was magnificent. It was, it was glorious. It had a head of gold, uh, chest and arms of silver, and a stomach and thighs of bronze, and, and his legs and feet were of iron and clay mixed together. And, and he didn't know what all that meant. And Daniel told him that those represent the four main kingdoms, the four main superpowers that were going to come onto the scene uh, worldwide, basically. So Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, that was the head of gold. And so uh, Daniel said, you, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. So that probably made Nebuchadnezzar feel real good. And then he talked about um, the, the, the silver and the bronze. That's the Medio-Persian Empire and the Greek Empire, which came onto the scene later. And then the legs and feet were Rome. And uh, what happened was in that dream, there's this statue and this stone not cut from hands, it fell and it crushed these these kingdoms, it crushed the statue, and then it, it grew and became a mountain that filled the whole earth. And Daniel said that that, that stone that came from heaven, that, that came and crushed all these world kingdoms, that's the kingdom of God and it will be eternal, it will never pass away. And so Daniel said, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, God has told you what's going to happen in the future. And so when he told him that, Nebuchadnezzar was like, that's amazing. Your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings. He's all these different things. And so he, he, he bows down and gives, pays homage to Daniel and thinks that he's wonderful. He gives him gifts. He promotes him to a high place in, in Babylon. So he's a, Daniel is now a government official. And uh, at Daniel's request, Nebuchadnezzar makes, his, makes Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, officers or, or officials in his kingdom as well. So here you have Nebuchadnezzar. He's king. Daniel is up there pretty high, and the guys we're going to talk about today, they're up there pretty high too. Not as high as Daniel, but they're up there pretty high too. So with that in mind, I want you to pick up in uh, Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to read the first few verses, and we're going to work our way through this. Starting in verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, 90 feet high, and its width was 6 cubits, 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, 
the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image of image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. Now remember, Babylon, they would take over all kinds of places, and they would import all the best of the best from these different cultures. So they have people from all over the world there. Verse 5, At the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, uh, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. Now I just want to pause here for just a moment because when you read your translation, it may have had some different instruments here. It may have had some different uh, titles for all these different officers. And the reason for that is because we don't really know what exactly these people did. We don't know exactly what the satraps did. We don't know exactly what the counselors did. Uh, but basically he brought in all the officials, all the, all the government people from all over his kingdom to this place. And on the instruments, we don't know what all these things were. Uh, some of them, some, some translations have certain instruments. Some have other ones listed. Uh, but it must have been a pretty big orchestra. Okay, there were, there were like woodwinds or stringed instruments. It, it, was, it was the Babylon Symphony. The Babylon Philharmonic, okay? So look um, look at verse 6. So it says, uh, Bow down whenever you hear the music. Verse 6. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, that time when all people, all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. Now, very respectful. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? That's where I'm going to pause right there for, for just a moment. Uh, the first thing that we need to see in this text, I think, is that we need to know the pressure to compromise is coming. The pressure to compromise is coming. Now, this starts out with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was nuts. I mean, he was deranged. And we'll see later that he was ruled by his passion. So here you have a man who was in charge of a kingdom. He ruled many peoples. But he could not control himself. 
And he was ruled by his passions, but more, uh, more to the point of what we're reading here, he had let his own importance go to his head. Now, we don't know what this statue that he set up was. I think it was probably a statue of himself. We don't know when exactly he set it up. Some people think it was you know, 15 or 20 years after his dream. I think it was a lot sooner than that. Um, and, and I think it was a, a, an image of himself. You say, well, 90 feet high and you know, 9 or 10 feet across, that's kind of out of proportion. But, you know, it's likely that there was a, the, the pedestal that it was sitting on was included in that or something. Now, what exactly was it he set up, we don't know. Some people say, no, it was, a, it was a, uh, a, a statue set up to his father who'd recently passed away. It could have been like a, if you've seen pictures of, of Egypt, the obelisk, the, uh, the big towers that go up and they have kind of the points at the top. And uh, the Egyptians, they would carve idols and, and different things like that, carve images of their gods into those. It could be that he built one of those. It could be that he made some kind of a tower and put a god up on top of it, an idol. We just don't know. Like I said, I think it was probably an image of himself. And he says, you all have to bow down and worship this image of me. He, he had let this dream that God had given him go to his head because what did God say? He said, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. He said, I don't want to be the head. I want it all to be of gold. And so he thought he was very, very important. And he began to see himself as more important than he was. And his craziness led him to make an evil command. He said, worship the idol or be thrown into a, a furnace of blazing fire. Why would he say worship this idol? Because remember, they're polytheists. They say, you can worship your own gods. We have our gods. It's fine. Why would he demand that everybody worship this? I think part of it was he was, he was trying to unify this kingdom because remember he had people from all over the world and he was making he, he was trying to institute a one world religion essentially and saying you all need to worship me and, and in doing so he's saying I'm not only your political ruler I'm your religious ruler as well now that again I don't know his mind he was he was kind of nuts but that's what I think now what was his what was his punishment if you'll if you look again he says you bow down or you'll be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, if you're like me, I think of a furnace, and I think of like the units we have sitting outside, or I think of the unit that I have in the house, and I think, how can you throw people into a furnace? Now, obviously, I know they didn't have central heat and air, so that's not what he's talking about. The word, wording that's used here speaks of like a brick kiln. And, you know, kilns get very, very, very hot, and it wouldn't have been like you know, a hobby kiln. This would have been industrial size because that's what they used to make their buildings out of. And the way that they made them is they were kind of cone-shaped. At the bottom, they would be big, and they go up to a smaller hole at the top. And uh, it would be open at the top, and at the bottom, there would be a big opening. And what you do is you take your, your bricks, and you put them all along the sides of this inside of the kiln, build your fire in the middle, and the heat from that, in, that intense heat from the fire would beg those bricks that you can make buildings out of them. And so he says, if you don't bow down and worship this, that's where you're going. And he probably had it all fired up, and I'm sure there was smoke coming out of it, and you'd hear the fire crackling and all that stuff. So they had every, uh, every encouragement to bow down and worship this idol. Now, can you imagine that being a death penalty? Today, I mean, they, they don't do the electric chair, they don't do hangings, they don't do anything like that because they say it's cruel and unusual. 
But back then, they would burn you alive for not doing what the king wanted. And, and historians have found, archaeologists have found, documents where kings would do this. In fact, Jeremiah 29-22 talks about a king roasting two men with fire. There's a Jewish legend. I don't think it's probably true, but there's a Jewish legend. You remember uh, Bible trivia time? Where did Abraham come from? Remember God called him. He said, go to the land where I'm going to send you. Where did he, he come from? Ur of the Chaldees. These are Chaldeans. This, that's, that's ancient Babylonian area. There's an, there's an old Jewish legend that Abraham wouldn't worship their idols, and they threw him into one of, the, one of these furnaces, and he came out unscathed. Again, I, I don't think that, that probably happened, but I just mentioned that to, 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 to emphasize to you that these Chaldeans, these Babylonians, they were, they were brutal. We talk about price gouging with gas. One of the things the I think is Persians or Babylonians, I think it's Babylonians would do, if there was a, a drought and you didn't have any food, if a baker started charging a whole bunch more for the bread, they'd throw them in their own oven. Okay, that it, it was it was a, an encouragement to not gouge. Anyway, he said, if you don't bow down and worship this idol, that's where you're going. My question is, why did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego even go to begin with? Because they knew, they had to know what was going on. Why'd they show up? Well, again, I don't think they were looking for a fight. I think what happened is they were they were doing what the Bible teaches elsewhere. We all need to be uh, subject or submissive to the governing authorities until it, it asks us to violate God's command. And when they were compelled to cross God's line, they refused to do it. But up until that point, they could do it. He says, everybody come, they went. So I, I say all this stuff, what am I talking about? I'm talking about pressure. These men have pressure to compromise their convictions. What pressure did they have? Well, they could have said, I'm just being submissive to my governing authorities. That's what the Bible says. The king at this point is their boss. The boss is telling me to do it. I've got to do it. They could have said, you know, we're representative of the Jews that have been taken over. If we don't do this, what's going to happen to all these other Jewish people? It'll go a lot worse for them in the kingdom. They could have reasoned to themselves, you know, Nebuchadnezzar has treated us pretty well. He took us into captivity, but he's, he's fed us. He's educated us. We kind of owe him a little bit. There's peer pressure because who all's there? All the upper crust, all the, all the uh, political leaders. And they're, they're the only ones standing up and everybody else is bound down. There would have been peer pressure to go along. Here's one that we probably would do. We'd say, God knows my heart. I'll bow down, but I won't worship. God knows that I won't. That, and yeah, he said, don't bow down to an idol. But God's a forgiving God. I'll do this, and God will forgive me. Isn't that what we do? As, as, one, as one man said, that what's on trial here is not God's ability to forgive, but their ability to forsake. And so they had all this. And then on top of that, if you look at, at verse... Um, 15, verses 14 and 15, Nebuchadnezzar brings them in, and some translations have it read, basically, I think there may have been a mistake, and if you accidentally didn't bow down when everybody else did, I'm going to give you another chance. And sometimes, don't we, I mean, we're proud, we stand up, yeah, I'm doing what's right, but boy, if I had to do it again, I don't think I could. And maybe they, they did what was right, and Nebuchadnezzar says, well, 
I think you may have made a mistake. Why don't you try it again? There would have been so much pressure to do what was right. And we face many of those same pressures. Not the, not the same context, but many of the same pressures. I mean, there are people today who are being compelled in America by our government. They're being compelled to violate their conscience. Has anybody ever shopped at Hobby Lobby? You may know the case that's going on with Hobby Lobby in Springfield. We've got Hobby Lobby, Mardell, owned by the same people. Of course, there's the health care mandate right now. And they said, you have to provide coverage for your employees that will cover abortive procedures, basically. They're Christian people that own Hobby Lobby. They said, we can't do that. It violates our religious belief. And the government said, you have to do it, or else, if you don't start doing it on January 1st of this year, you'll face a fine of $1.3 million every day that you don't go along with this demand. Now, in June, they got to stay on that, and they were allowed to challenge that provision. But that's that's pretty big stuff. $1.3 million a day? Pharmacists, some of them don't feel comfortable giving like the morning after pill uh, or, or some of these other drugs. And they are compelled. They, they feel compelled to do it. Maybe maybe it's not with maybe it's not like that with you. Maybe you have pressure at work to to, to fudge sales numbers. Maybe you have uh, peer pressure at school wanting to fit in. The, the fact is, we all have pressures to compromise, and so we need to, like these men, determine to be obedient. Look at verse sixteen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, and I love their answer. O Nebuchadnezzar. We do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. We don't need to have a conference. We're just going to tell you like it is. If it be so, verse 17, our God who, whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Wow. I mean, that is, or just think about saying something like that to your boss. Think about, say, think about saying something like that to the president, the king. I will not do what you say. I don't care what you do to me. You can torture me. You can burn me at the stake and throw me in a, a, a furnace of fire. I'm not going to do it. That takes some guts. That takes some courage to not only stand up to the king and tell him what you feel and believe, but again, this is happening in front of everybody. They play the music, everybody falls down except for three guys who are probably up front, and they're standing there. Can you imagine all, hey, look at those guys, whispering, nudging, pointing at them, being drug up before the king and saying, I will not do it. And all the while you're hearing the fire that you're going to be thrown into, popping and crackling over here, that's guts. That's courage. That's determination to be obedient. And they said, we'll be obedient no matter what. You say, well, that sounds a lot like what we talked about a couple weeks ago. Yeah, because same three guys dealing with the same despotic king. First, they said, we'll not defile ourselves with your food. Now they're saying, we'll not defile ourselves with your idol. They were so committed to being obedient to God, they, were, they, they, see, they saw obedience as being more important than their lives. That's courage. What commandments were they not going to break? God's top ten, numbers one and two. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make an idol. Leviticus 26, verse 1. Uh, don't don't bow down to any images. Don't worship them. God said, don't do it. They said, okay, we won't. We will not do that. 
They're living out the principle that the apostle put into words later in the book of Acts. We must obey God rather than men. Because why? When people are pressuring you, you need to realize there's a higher power that you answer to. I need to realize there's a higher power that I answer to. It's not, it's not our boss. It's not our church. God is the one that we ultimately answer to. So we need, need to be obedient to him. And the last thing I want you to see is that we need to know that God is with us in our fire. God's with us in the midst of our fire. Uh, look at verse 19. They say, King, we're not going to do it. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Uh, this shows, again, he's not in control of his senses because if he was in control of things, if you're wanting to torture somebody, you make it less hot so they'll be prolonged in their agony longer. He says, make it the hottest you can, seven times hotter than normal. They're going to die even faster in his mind or this in reality. Verse 20, um, he commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, and their caps, and their other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, it's a cone shape. They were taken to the top to throw them in. Maybe a breeze went through. We don't know. Flame came up, killed them. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, Was it not three men that we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now, some your translation may say like the son of God. That's not a very accurate translation. It, the, a son of the gods is more accurate. Because remember, Nebuchadnezzar didn't have uh, a full understanding of the Trinity. Okay, he, he doesn't really know the true God of the Bible at this point. Um, the son of the gods, verse 26. The Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the, on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. And that's a miracle right there. I, I can't, sometimes when I grill stuff out of the grill. My arm hair gets singed. Sometimes, if I'm burning, you know, have a weenie roast or something, no matter where I go, the smoke follows me. You know what I'm talking about? And I can get, I, it doesn't matter. And I can just be in the area that something is burning and I smell like smoke. They're in the midst of a fire and they don't even smell like smoke. That's pretty incredible. It's, it's a miracle. Um, Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. 
Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Remember earlier he said, who's able to deliver you from my hand? God says, I am. He says, okay, you're the God. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon, gave him promotion. Now, we need to know that God is with us in our fires. Because if we live like these guys did, if we will stand up for our beliefs, our convictions, if we'll stand for the Bible, we will face, we'll face fires. There's no way around it. We will face fires of persecution. You say, well, this is America. Pastor, we're not going to face persecution. Land of the free, home of the brave. I tell you, I believe that even today there, there are fires of perse persecution being kindled in this country because what is persecution? It's, it's hostility towards and ill treatment of people for their beliefs. Now, that's already happening. Now, it isn't as severe as what these guys went through because we don't have a death threat for coming and doing what we're doing today. But there's still persecution. I, I mentioned that case earlier. What about this one? In August of this year, two months ago, in August of this year, a New Mexico Supreme Court ruled unanimously, unanimously against a company called Elaine Photography. Has anybody heard about this case? And what happened was there was um, a homosexual couple that wanted to have a commitment ceremony. Now, New Mexico does not have uh, so-called gay marriage in their state. But they wanted to have a commitment ceremony, and this this group said, no, we, we won't take pictures of it. We'll take pictures of you individually, but because of our religious beliefs, we will not take your picture in a context that makes it look like we are in favor of or endorsing homosexual, quote-unquote, marriage. Sounds reasonable, but not to these guys or gals. I don't know which it was. So they took him to court, and here's what the New Mexico State Supreme Court said. And li listen to this concurring opinion by Justice Richard Boston. I'm not going to read the whole thing, of course, but listen to a, a few lines of it. The Huguenins, that's the people that wouldn't take the pictures, quote, now are compelled by law to compromise the very religious beliefs that inspire their lives. Though the rule of law requires it, the result is sobering. It will no doubt have a tangible mark on the Huguenins and others of similar views. He goes on to say later, in short, I would say to the Huguenins with the utmost respect, it is the price of citizenship. In other words, you Christians, you can believe the Bible. That's nice. It's okay for you to believe the Bible. But you better not try to live it out here in the world. Because if you try to live what the Bible says, and we don't like it, we, the government, will compel you, that's his wording, compel you through, through law to act differently. Folks, that is tyranny is what that is. That is persecution from the governing authorities of people who hold Christian convictions in America two months ago. We face the fires of persecution, at least potentially. We face the, the, the fires of temptation, the fires of compromise, of, of trials. Jesus said in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Peter said in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. In other words, 
Don't act surprised when bad stuff happens. But when you're, when you're in that fire, remember that we have God's presence with us through it all. Now, who was this fourth individual? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. It could have been an angel. He was evidently uh, miraculous. He was supernatural. Even King Nebuchadnezzar, who was a pagan, recognized that much. I believe, with many commentators, this was a what they call a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. That this is Jesus coming onto the scene before he comes into Bethlehem. We see him. We see him all throughout the Bible. He's often called in the Old Testament the angel of the Lord, the, the messenger of the Lord. Not an angel, the angel, the messenger, the, 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 the angel of the covenant, some of the old commentators called him. It reminds me of, of, uh, of Paul. Or at that point he was Saul. You remember he's going to Damascus. And what did... Uh, the sky got all bright. He fell to the ground. You remember what the voice said? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me. Now at that point, Jesus has already gone back to heaven. Saul, who later became Paul, was persecuting Christians. Jesus took it personally when people were mistreating his people. I think that's what's going on here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stand up for what's right. They stand up for what God said. And the Lord took it personally. He was with them in the midst of the fire. And that's an encouragement to us because Christ is with us in the fire. Just like he was with the, uh, the, the disciples in the boat. Again, there's an old Jewish legend, and this stuff isn't inspired. But there's an old Jewish legend that said that when these men were in the fire, God made it feel like a cool breeze blowing on them. Now, I don't know if that happened. The Bible doesn't tell us. Now, I'm not saying if you're in the midst of a fire that you're going to feel a, a cool breeze instead of some heat. But I will promise that you're, if you're a child of God, you'll have a companion with you through it all. Now, you may not always sense His presence. In fact, many times you don't. But you know what? The truth is not determined by what we sense or what we feel. That poem talks about the footprints in the sand. And he looks back and says, Why are there only uh, one set of footprints whenever I'm going through the hard times in life? And he said, That's when I was carrying you. Yeah, that, that's what happens. We, we don't always feel God's presence, but He's with us. Because He loves us. He cares for us. Christ went through this stuff too. The book of Hebrews says that we have a high priest who can identify with us because he was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And therefore, he can rush to the aid of those who need him. And when you come through a time of fire in your life, you will make it through. And in the end, you'll have a testimony by God's faithfulness. And God will then use that testimony, if you'll let him, to comfort somebody else with the comfort with, with which you've been comforted. And you'll be able to say with the psalmist, Yea, through, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. God's with us in the midst of the fires. And when you come out the other side, you'll have a testimony. And, and it'll be like with that king. They'll recognize that God was with us. And he'll use that experience to minister to other people. And if you're in a, a, a fire today, of persecution, of temptation, pressure to compromise, of, of trial. I'd encourage you to lean on the Lord today. Trust Him and, and ask Him for help. Because He's not abandoned you and He never will. If the Lord be for us, who can be against us? He's with us in the fire. 
And and we talk, you know, sometimes I'll be burning, I'll, there'll be limbs that fall or something like that, all cut brush, and I'll be burning it. And I get too close to the fire. You ever done that? And thought, ooh, I'm glad I'm not going to hell. I think, I, I, it may be because I'm a preacher or something, but I, I think some of the weirdest things sometimes. And well, that, that heat will be radiating off of it, and, and oh, it's just awful. As bad as being burned alive would have to be, that's nothing compared to the horrors of hell. You realize that almost every time Jesus spoke about hell, he used the image of fire. In fact, a couple times in the Gospels, he actually talked about, he even used the image of a furnace of fire. And the pain and the suffering that these three young men, uh, if, if God had not intervened the way he did, they would have eventually escaped because they would have died from the heat. But in hell, you don't get that escape. There is not a time in hell when you will have relief. But you don't have to experience that. You can have your sins, which you rightfully deserve to have judged. You can have those sins forgiven because on the cross, Jesus took the punishment that it deserved. And you can have your, your sins forgiven by God when you put your faith in Christ. Not just believing that He exists or even that He died on the cross, but trusting in Him alone for your salvation. And you can do that today.